Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to This Week in Accountable Care. I'm Greg Masters, your host, and I'm, I'm thrilled today for two reasons. One is I, I'm actually joined by my uh, a guest host today, Dr. Pat Solver. Dr. Solver is the co-founder of the Health Innovation Broadcasting Consortium, and she's also the publisher of the DrWaysIn.com and CEO of HealthTechHatch.com. And uh, Pat, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you. And uh, this was a last-minute invite, so I'm pleased you're here. And I'm doubly pleased because we get to chat with Dr. Tom Dorr. And Dr. Tom Dorr is associated with uh, Lumeris, L-U-M-E-R-I-S.com, as well as the, I believe, uh, Medicare Advantage unit of Lumeris titled EssenceHealthcare.com, and we can hear more about that shortly. But I crossed paths with Dr. Dorr recently. He had put a blog post up on um, uh, the healthcare blog titled The Nine C's of Accountable Care, and then shortly thereafter um, I got noticed that a webinar would be conducted that would do a deeper dive into some of the content and the results that uh, they produced uh, via Essence and Numeris. Um, activity. So we have Dr. Dom on the broadcast today. He's going to tell us about his experience. Welcome to the broadcast, Dr. Dorr. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. So first up, tell us a little bit about you, your interest in this space. What, what, what got you started? I am a primary care physician. I still maintain a part-time practice three half days per week. And All of my patients are in a Medicare Advantage HMO called Essence, which is one of the top performing plans of its type in the country. And my colleagues and I have had extraordinary success in global risk contracting and in accountable care. And I took it upon myself to try to distill what is the secret sauce, what are we doing that is so different and so much better than so many other places in the country who are struggling to bend the cost curve while delivering high-quality care. So I interviewed 10 physicians, all very experienced, a couple hundred hours of experience of practicing medicine, and I work for a health plan and I should explain about these two companies you mentioned. Essence is a four-and-a-half-star Medicare Advantage plan. Lumeris is a company that offers health systems and payers and providers consulting services and technology and operating support. So Lumeris has been running this Essence Medicare Advantage health plan that's been performing so well. And I work at both these companies, and in fact, I'm on the board of directors of each of those companies. And I, my role is innovation research. So 
we have been doing intense work with analytics on our own data, trying to understand what predicts how and why it is that some physicians perform so well and others do not. Our Medicare Advantage plan, we dream of performing as well as Kaiser, which is an integrated delivery system with single ownership of the entire system and wonderful coordination of care. We aspire to be like Kaiser. The difference is that we are attaining our performance without having the benefit of being an integrated delivery system. So we have doctors out in the wild, and some of them perform very well, and others are just beginning to make the transition from volume-based care to value-based care. So we're able to study physicians and understand who's performing well and who's not and make correlations and eventually to distill a framework for primary care providers. This framework offers them workflows and metrics of success and behavioral strategies to enable them to perform well. If you think about this, I call it the accountable primary care model. It re-architects the way that care is delivered at the physician practice level. So, uh, excellent intro. So would it be fair, and I'm really interested in, in the appeal to mainstream medicine that this model pretends, because not everybody can be a Kaiser or a Mayo or a Geisinger per se. So, so let's go there in a moment, but back to Lumeris and Essence. So Essence is the Medicare uh, Advantage contractor and Lumeris is, would it be the equivalent of a, an MSO, or is it a vendor, a, a SaaS vendor of services? Uh, what, what's, the, what's the DNA of each? It's, it's all of the above. Lumeris is effectively running the healthcare plan, providing the operational support. Uh, the difference is that the Essence Company has the financial reserves and the license from the state of Missouri and the license with CMS, but Lumeris is providing the day-to-day -day operations, the medical management, the care management, the uh, telephone support for the members. There are, Lumeris is effectively running the plan. So Lumeris has been practicing accountable care for about 10 years, but here's the other part. We've been teaching industry leaders around the country everything we know about accountable care for four years. So we're attempting to disseminate our best practices and our strategies to other uh, health systems around the country. And uh, this is very interesting. Um, uh, as we talked before the show, I'm a um, uh, former Kaiser Permanente physician and physician executive, and I know a little bit about what the secret sauce was for Kaiser, at least in the early days, um, when when they were kind of the lone or one of one of a few integrated delivery systems. And 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 one of the one of the issues was having everybody on a common medical record, even though in those days it was handwritten. My question to you, with these docs that are all out in the community, how how are how are you linking them together? Do you have a common platform? Are they all on the same EHR? Um, what what what's the underlying infrastructure that helps you to to manage um, these physicians who aren't otherwise bound in an integrated delivery system? Well, that's a great question. So we have an account. We call it an accountable delivery system platform, which in plain English means it's a payer portal but we are able to engage physicians with this. So, for example, as I mentioned, I practice medicine. I go to that payer portal before I see every patient, and I print out that patient care profile 
because it has an extraordinarily robust amount of information from across the continuum of care. So within the Essence Healthcare Plan, there are three dominant electronic medical records. One of them is our own, which is called Clear Practice. Another one is NextGen, and the third dominant one is eClinicalWorks. And then we have dozens or hundreds of physicians who do not have electronic health records. And one of our C's, C6, is collaborative learning. We are able to win the engagement of physicians with the payer on this payer portal so that the payer portal becomes the single best shared source of data. And I would add that we've done a deep integration into two of these EHRs so that we are delivering messaging from the payer to physicians in their workflow at the point of thought about care considerations regarding uh, high-risk conditions that need to be addressed, uh, gaps in care, opportunities to improve quality or lower costs. So it's a, a mixed sort of intervention. For some who don't have electronic health records, it's the payer portal. For others, we have various levels of engagement with the EHRs, but we are on different EHR systems. And if if you don't mind um, a little bit of granular detail, if I'm one of those docs without an electronic health record and I go to the payer portal, am I seeing mainly claims data? We interface with most of the labs that are used by the physician, so we have permissions for that. So you're seeing claims level, de claims level data, you're seeing lab data, and then you're seeing the fruits of a rules engine. And the other part is that we have, think of it, we, we call it an, out, an outreach work list, which has a collection of all the care considerations, all the gaps in care, and physicians interact with that website and they update it. So we have an extraordinary level of engagement from physicians with the payers portal, which I think is really extraordinary because I think many payer portals don't get much uh, traffic from primary care physicians. But this portal provides physicians with the information they need to succeed in the Medicare Advantage plan because for the most part they are in global risk contracts and they have significant uh, financial interest in delivering high quality, fiscally responsible care. Well, that's interesting. You answered my second question, which was, is the predominant way of paying people um, a capitation model or you still have some user service hanging in there? So, yes, the predominant method of reimbursement is capitation, but there are substantial quality incentives. In fact, some of the doctors complain that we make them earn their bonuses twice. You know, the significant part of the share back is based, of course, on financial performance, but if we do not get the, the contract metrics met, then the physicians will not get the full share back. And the contract metrics are unusual because they are above and beyond the standard quality measures. So one of the contract metrics is for the physicians to share all their data with the health plan. We have developed something we call the collaborative payer model, which reinvents the role of the payer in healthcare as a full-service collaborative ally of physicians. And there are several elements to the collaborative payer model, and if you don't mind, I think it's worth walking through these. Uh, 
the three elements. The first element is that the payer uses the funding strategically to support the healthcare reform agenda in addition to paying claims. Second is a radical alignment of incentives between the payer and the physician and the member benefits so that we can minimize conflicts of interest because we construct our benefits in such a way that the, pay, that the members, the patients, have uh, strong incentives to lower cost of care. And then the third part is the contract incentives and the way the contracting is performed. We call it open contracting, and a vital part of the collaborative payer model is complete transparency on the part of the payer with physicians. So I can go to the payer portal and I can trace every dollar from CMS through the payer to me. I can see each of my patient's claims, how much the patient paid, how much the health plan paid. I can see the costs of tests. So I know that a stress thallium test costs about $1,100, and I know that a stress echo test costs $252. And I also know the ratio of stress thallium tests that are ordered by cardiologists to stress echo tests. And as a primary care physician, I'm held accountable for my ratio of testing comparing those two tests because the indications for both are very similar. They're by and large interchangeable, but we find a wide range of, of performance in regards to a metric like that. So when we think about physicians and asking them to deliver fiscally responsible care, for the most part, I think they're flying blind. They don't know how much things cost. They don't know where the opportunities are to bend the cost curve while maintaining quality. And this portal provides that kind of information. Well, I love it because this is really the transparency that we've all been talking about for the last, I don't know, 10 to 15 years. Um, just one more question, and I'll pass it over to Greg, and that is um, – when I look at the price of a, of a, of a stress test, of, you know, thallium versus NECO, um, do, I, do I also get information about if you go to this hospital and get it done, it's this amount of money, or if you go to this one, it's this amount of money, so I can start directing uh, people to um, the places to get these tests that are the most economical? And, and of course, you'd like to have some quality um, information built in as well. So absolutely yes is the answer to your question. So I can see at which locations are there facility fees associated with the visits. I can look up how much a screening colonoscopy costs by gastroenterologist depending on where the test is performed so that we have this, as you say, the transparency that we've all been desperately wanting in healthcare. But it's part of this collaborative payer relationship because in our global risk contracts, when they work well, the majority of the shareback or residual bonus goes to the primary care physicians so that they have powerful incentives to care not only about the quality but also about the cost of care. So let me ask you, um, that's great background and, and some good granular stuff. Talk a, a little bit about... Um, your structure is, is this one uber ipa is it multiple ipas under parent uh, network configuration and what's the status of primary and specialty care relations in, in, inside inside the um, inside the, the overall design okay a couple questions there so first of all 
the health plan contracts with individual primary care physicians, with IPAs, and with medical groups. And I would say that the it's probably an equal mix between medical groups and IPAs, and perhaps 10% are solo practicing physicians, so probably 45, 45, 10 on the uh, provider network amongst the primary care physicians. Uh, the way our contracting works, we pay specialists 110%, excuse me, 105% of what Medicare pays them, and so we pay them better than Medicare, and I do not believe it is the optimal model because I would like to see a model in which there was gain sharing with specialists, and that's an innovation that we're still working on. And, oh, and uh, the relationship between them. So uh, we measure physician satisfaction. We also measure specialist satisfaction, and our measures are we're very proud of them. The message we get from specialists is that they love working with our primary care physicians because the specialists are permitted to practice at the top of their training. When a patient is referred to them, this is an anecdote, but the specialist says the patient's already all worked up. I don't need to be worrying about have they had their, if I'm a cardiologist, I don't need to worry about whether or not their diabetes is being managed and whether their cholesterol is being managed. All the routine primary care work has been taken care of and it's well documented, and I can go and deliver my cardiology care, the part of my work that I find to be most interesting. And, and just for those who, who may not be really contracting savvy, when you, when you say global risk, you're, you're talking about literally the entire spectrum of care, primary, specialty, ancillary, and, and even perhaps pharma. Is that correct? Everything, the entire healthcare dollar. And by putting physicians at risk for some fraction of that, we are empowering them to do what is necessary to deliver high-quality care. So in this model, I am liberated from the traditional constraints on the time, place, and manner of care. In fee-for-service reimbursement, as a practicing doctor, I'm only paid for face-to-face -face care, and they're just starting to phase in a little fee for care coordination, but it's really not enough. With my method of reimbursement, I have a positive business case as a small businessman to do email care, to replace visits with care through email. I have a positive business case to do health care over the phone. I have a positive business case to make house calls, to give oximeters to, or loan oximeters to my patients. All of this hassle and detail that bogs us down in fee-for-service is out of the picture. And I have a positive business case to have longer visits with my patients. So my shortest patient with my Medicare Advantage member is a half-hour visit. My visits are either a half-hour or they are an hour, depending on what we're trying to accomplish in the visit. So I'm off the hamster wheel, and I am well-paid enough to be able to afford to get off that hamster wheel and spend more time with my patients, which my patients love. Well, that, that sounds great, too, because this hamster wheel, you know, it's been the hardest thing is to see how people can transition. And and so that's a question to me. As you, is, are you, I'm assuming you're adding doctors to your network all the time and you're growing. How, how do you help these docs move from a fee-for-service environment into the capitated environment? Do, do, do you have a large part of each of these doctors' practice or is it a small part? How does that work? So as you might expect, it starts small and it grows, and 
we have incentives in the contract to reward them for having their panels open to enroll more members. And the transition depends upon our market share so that when the market share is small, let's say less than 50 members, we don't see a lot of change in the physician's behavior. Now, with our sales team, we tend to try to direct new members to physicians who have small practices so they attain a critical mass. We really see uh, engagement and transformation when the primary care physician gets to between 75 and 100 members. And as to how we help them make that transition, that's where this accountable primary care model comes into play because there's a, a large suite of behavioral strategies and tactics that need to be deployed. And for each one of these overall strategies, or, or um, there's more than one way to get to it. So for example, our first C, and uh, we call these the nine C's of accountable primary care, and C stands for column or pillar. Think of nine pillars supporting a building. So the first C is first contact and enhanced access to care. And so, as, as you may know, there is this wonderful study published by Christopher Forrest and Barbara Starfield in 1996 in the Journal of Family Practice. They looked at 20,000 episodes of care, more than 20,000 episodes, and they found that when the episode began with contact with the primary care physician, the costs were 53% lower than if the entry point in the system was at some other location in the healthcare system. And this was after they controlled for the number of ER visits, after they controlled for demographics and for the patient's health status. So when you think about trying to bend the cost curve, if you can ramp up the access so that patients can get in to see the primary care physician, there's an opportunity to transform healthcare. So access to care can be attained in several ways. One way is through advanced access scheduling or open access scheduling, which is very difficult for physicians to implement unless they have a large number of members associated with our plan. But it can be as simple as reserving more same-day appointments, but it can also be revolutionary because email care, when you are able to replace 30 to 50% of your office visits with email visits, all of a sudden the primary care physician has much more time to get members in quickly to see doctors right away. So there's a whole suite of ways to expand access to care, and there's a lot of supporting data from the payer about preventable admissions, preventable ER visits, um, new patients not seen, established members not seen, a wealth of data that drives a rules engine to say to the physicians, you need to reach out to these particular members to expand their access to care. And it works that way for each of these nine C's, that there are multiple methods and strategies, and depending upon where a physician is with the market share of Essence members and other members of other Medicare Advantage risk contracts, that will decide how far they want to go towards making their practice more and more Kaiser-like. Tom, how many members do you have, and, and if you don't mind just um, telling us a bit about who you think your major competitors are in your marketplace? We have 40,000 members, and we are the largest Medicare Advantage plan in our market. We are the fastest-growing Medicare Advantage plan in our market. We are the only four-and-a-half-star or five-star rated plan in the state of Missouri, and we've been that way for two years. 
and we have the most generous member benefits of any Medicare Advantage plan in our market so that we are growing rapidly and we are our C8 is capacity expansion among the nine C's we are helping physicians to be able to expand their ability to take care of more members so that we can meet the demand and our competitors would be the other Medicare Advantage plans but frankly they find it difficult to compete with us can I ask you about that C9, which uh, career satisfaction appears to be the triple aim plus one? What, what's that all about? Well, career satisfaction is referring to the careers of primary care physicians. And we think that, first of all, it is the sense of fulfillment and joy that physicians find in doing their work. So 66% of the primary care physicians in the United States are dissatisfied with their careers, and that's two to three times the rate of primary care physicians in Western European countries who tend to have the primary care model in place. Career, career dissatisfaction lowers the quality of care, and it increases the risk of medical errors, and it really degrades the personal relationship that doctors have with their patients and leads to early retirement. So career satisfaction is dependent on monetary as well as non-monetary considerations. So, for example, pediatricians are among the lowest paid specialties, but they've got one of the highest levels of career satisfaction of any specialty. So it's about more than money. It's really directly related to issues such as the meaning that doctors find in their work, the amount of control they have over their work and their order and their work-life balance, as well as their remuneration. So when I'm able to have half-hour visits with my patients, and I would say that most of the primary care physicians do these longer visits, patients become more like family members. We really care about them, and the work is much more satisfying. Uh, each of the physicians I interviewed, for example, all of them, they follow their patients into hospice. And that's significant because... In Medicare Advantage contracting, when a patient becomes sick enough to be in a hospice, they leave the Medicare Advantage program and they are no longer part of the Medicare Advantage plan. So the primary care physicians are not paid any money to take care of these patients, but they still take care of them till the end of their lives in hospice. So when it's time to have that talk with my patient and when they opt to go into hospice, that's one of the questions they have, well, who's going to take care of me? And I'm able to tell them that rather than someone will be assigned to them by the hospice, I will still be their doctor and I will work closely with the nurse in the hospice, but they will not lose that relationship with me. It's a cradle-to-grave relationship. And that's an example of the transcendence of these relationships and the importance that it has. You know, primary care is on the brink of collapse, as I think you well know that only 2% of medical school graduates want to go into primary care. We've got to change that, and it's a consequence of this hamster wheel health care and the toxic reimbursement system that we have in place. Um, and just before we um, close, uh, what everybody always wants to know are the metrics and the results, and I understand that you have... Um, either published or presented your results recently. Could you give us a quick synopsis of, um, you know, savings, ROI, other kinds of financial results in, a, in addition to the, I mean, you've told us about the physician satisfaction and any quality results. Yes. So we are a four-and-a-half-star Medicare Advantage plan, and that puts us in the top percent, top 10% of Medicare Advantage plans in the country. The star rating system has 55 measures of quality 
customer service, patient satisfaction. Our medical cost ratio after paying primary care physicians is about 70%, 7-0. And what we have found when we look and compare our performance to a matched fee-for-service Medicare population, we find that the number of inpatient bed days is reduced by about 52%. The number of skilled nursing facility days is reduced by 67%. The number of specialist visits is reduced by 40%. The number of primary care physician visits is increased by 42%. So connecting the dots, the big picture is that the there's a shift in care from the inpatient hospital and ER to the outpatient setting. There's another shift from specialists over to primary care physicians. There's another different set of rather complex data that basically says we are spending dramatically more than fee-for-service Medicare spends on the healthier deciles of the population, and we're spending dramatically less on the sicker deciles of the population. Before we pay the primary care physicians, our average expenditure is 57% of fee-for-service, and then with our gain-sharing, it's up to 70% uh, with after paying primary care physicians. But the concept here is that there is money to be able to be redistributed to other parties in healthcare, to the specialists, to the hospital systems, so that we can attain a balanced system. Our model tends to be primary care physician-centric, but we really think it needs to be balanced more like Kaiser in that regard. Dr. Doerr, that's going to have to be the last word for the live portion of our broadcast. If you can stay with us just a few minutes into overtime, I, I would sure appreciate that. Otherwise, I want to let everybody know we've been speaking with Dr. Tom Doerr of Lumeris and Essence Healthcare. He's been talking about the nine C's of accountable care. Join us next week on this issue of uh, <laughs> This Week in Accountable Care. It's Greg Master saying bye now. Hold over one thing. Hang on. Sorry, sorry to oh. cut you off. We're 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 talking with Dr. Tom Doerr, and those are I, I for one, having a history in the contracting domain, understand the significance of those kinds of bed day reductions, admit rate reductions, and sustaining quality metrics and so forth. But um, let me ask you this: uh, the minimal assumptions that the, it's at least. Uh, uh, posited in the Medicare Shared Savings Program uh, are, are modest compared to this kind of experience, which I believe is essentially inside the Medicare Advantage Program. Can ACOs compete? And if so, how and why? So ACOs can compete. The business model for the ACOs, in my opinion, is still a work in progress. And there's, I think of ACOs as being ACO 1.0, and there will be a next generation that will be better and will come closer to getting it right. It's very difficult to have an ACO succeed if the primary care physicians are still predominantly reimbursed on something that's like a fee-for-service plus modest incentive sort of contract. It needs, you know, we need practice transformation. We need to get outside of this toxic reimbursement system, hamster wheel care. And I think that reimbursement is an area where ACOs are still very much positioned for improvement. And we are 
working with some ACO customers and in the process of deploying our 9Cs accountable primary care model. And it's too early to tell you results of that, but we're optimistic. Do you see this model being uh, – could, could this potentially stem the out-migration of primary care physicians into a direct practice or, or a concierge model? I certainly hope so. We're seeing this in St. Louis, and, in fact, there's a hospital-owned group that is about ready to separate from their hospital because they want to be an independent entity in contracting with us. So with the national trend being hospitals acquiring primary care physicians, we're seeing that trend, at least in one instance, on the verge of being reversed and having physicians separate themselves from the hospital because they like the model that we have deployed better. Wow, that would be a enormous that would be an event of enormous interest to know about. So if you could share that with me at some point, if not on the air or whatever, I would sure appreciate it. I will be happy to follow up with you on that. Great. So uh, I know you're a busy man, and we're in overtime. So, Pat, do you have any final thoughts or questions for Dr. Dorr? Uh, only uh, one thought c- crosses my mind is that, um, that you need to get on the speaking circuit and, and start talking at all the medical schools so the medical students uh, hear what you have to say, and uh, hopefully it'll you know there'll be enough options like this that it can uh, really inspire people to choose primary care. Well, thank you. My hope is to disseminate this model. We do speak at the medical schools that are in St. Louis and in Missouri, and we are having a success in increasing interest in primary care, and they're joining in with some of these groups. We're seeing that locally, but this movement as that I'm describing and that you've been so kind as to host uh, in discussion is in its infancy, but we have uh, high hopes for it. And do you want to just maybe add some concluding thoughts about the, um, and there's a little story behind this, the uh, the ad institute, the uh, Accountable Delivery Systems Institute that you all have have uh, have built. What, how does that serve the mission here? What does it do? That is a think tank and a research institute. That's really where the development of the Accountable Primary Care Model took place and uh, interested payers and health systems and providers can come and spend a day or two at the Accountable Delivery System Institute, and we will take them to school and teach them everything we know. And it's part of the process of engagement and taking the potential of this model to the next level is to come visit the Accountable Delivery System Institute. And it's very popular. We have a backlog, but... It's exciting to work with so many thought leaders in healthcare at the ADSI. And I was kidding with you before we went on air that uh, there's a bias that uh, the only places where anybody knows anything that that matters uh, around risk contracting is in California and portions of the Eastern Corridor, when, in fact, there's there's actually pockets uh, uh, elsewhere, one of which happens to be your market. (laughs) So... You've got a great story to tell. Hopefully, we're a part of getting that message out. And, uh, again, I want to thank you for your time today. My pleasure, and thank you so much for hosting me. You bet. Well, there you have it, folks. 
We've been speaking with Dr. Tom Dore, who is associated with Essence Healthcare and, and Numeris.com. Check it out, Medicare Advantage contractor and, uh, shall we say, Uber MSO, vendor of uh, SaaS-based services for management and so forth. Check them out, Numeris.com. I want to thank you again for listening. This has been Greg Masters, and thank my impromptu co-host, Dr. Patricia Salver for her time and able by the assistance today. We do this weekly on This Week in Accountable Care. Join us next week for another episode. It's Greg Masters saying bye now.